Good morning and welcome to worship here at the table. I want to make just a quick note for those um, who might have young friends with us. We are not, our, our kid check station is not working this morning. And so we're going to have some name tags out there and we have fabulous teachers. Um, Peter and Victor will be with us to help us when we go upstairs for Godly Play. And Mia and Sierra are over in the A-frame for folks that need um, care for our youngest friends. But our station that we normally have is not functioning um, as we had hoped this morning. So we'll just breathe and trust that it'll all be okay. So I want to invite us, those of us that are here in the sanctuary, to stand as you're willing and able. We're going to move together in to worship. This is a song that comes to us from the brilliance called Hear Our Prayer. I just invite us to hold this as a time of confession as we move into this space together.
As we find our seats, we're going to continue in a spirit of prayer. This is a prayer which comes to us in the form of a poem from Chloe McKellier. Hello there, darkness. You're not far as I click on the lights and take off the lid, letting go of all but a little. I scoop wheat, living stuff that was cut down and dried and sorted and ground by stone. I pour water, nothing but two hydrogens clinging to their oxygen. And then I watch and do the dishes and fold the laundry and feel the sun lift up her face and wonder about the person sleeping under the awning. And I could miss entirely your grace bubbling up. Because isn't it something that the smallest beings enact your kingdom, aligning themselves with resurrection, making way for life? Some would call flower dead, but isn't their life tucked away in every pocket, bread waiting to happen?
Welcome, my name is Michelle Walker, and I'm filling in for Sarneet Prasad today. Uh, he is away. We're grateful to be together this morning as we move through the three-week worship series reflecting upon the uh, Sermon on the Mount through the lens of Father Richard Rohr. For those of us gathering online at thetable.live, Chloe is with you and is our host for this morning. Please message her in the chat if you have any questions or if you need assistance. Today's bulletin is available with the QR codes for those in the sanctuary, and the link will be shared for those online as well. If you would like to learn more about our community of faith, please text the word NEW to the number up on the screen. 
When you feel ready to connect with others and learn more about The Table, our co-pastors lead a series called Growing in Faith, which is designed to help newcomers learn more about how we share in life together. That's right. Here at The Table, our next Growing in Faith uh, series will be held on Sunday evenings and will begin February 26th. Learn more and sign up at, online at thetable.um, I'm sorry, thetableumc.org. There we go. I invite you to remain seated and to allow this next song to help us to center in the heart of God. This is our music team sharing A Shovel is a Prayer by Carrie Newcomer.
Good morning. Um, at this time, I want to invite our children to move with our teachers upstairs to our godly play sanctuary as our musicians offer some walking music. Godly play is our ministry with children on Sunday mornings. Storytellers share stories from scripture and invite children to wonder about the mystery and the love of God. While we have loving and professional care for our youngest children in the A-frame throughout our worship, Godly Play is designed for children in elementary school. I love that walking music. I love it. Our reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 9 through 15, and we invite you to follow along. Jesus said, Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive others in their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. As our musicians move down, I invite us to just settle into a spirit of prayer. God, may the depth of your grace hold us. May the love that you have for the world embolden us. May we center this time. May your love align the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts with your longing for how we might find our way. We offer this time in your creative ways and many names. Amen. Pastor Linda and I were invited a couple of years ago. It was, I remember we didn't have to wear masks at that moment, so it was at least a few years ago. We were invited by the Jesuit volunteers to share a meal together with them and then to spend some time doing some teaching around prayer. For those of us that aren't familiar with the Jesuit Volunteer Corps, JVC, as it is often called, or the JVs, gathers a group of mostly young leaders in houses spread across 30 cities and five different countries. And the young people come together, usually in a house of, say, six or seven, even eight people, to explore spirituality, to live intentionally together, and then to work full-time 
in service and justice-centered nonprofits. We have a Jesuit volunteer or a JV house downtown around 12th and like F or so is where the house is located. It's been there for a long time. It actually got its start out of the, the Catholic worker movement here in Sacramento. And our community of faith through generosity last year was able to gift most all of the funds that allow one of the Jesuit volunteers this year to be working alongside the Catholic chaplaincy and the multi-faith chaplains at New Folsom Prison. And so Linda and I gathered downtown at this home. You walk up like 25 steps and you're not quite sure these steps are really going to make it. They made it. They held us. They went inside. It's this beautiful old home and we gathered and shared a meal. And then we sat down to share a little bit of our community of faith story, to share some of our own stories. And then we turned our attention to prayer. These young people, mostly 22, 23-year-olds, were all over the map in terms of their own experiences with prayer. Some of them brought a lot of hesitation, especially around praying out loud. It turns out when you're doing a year-long exploration of spirituality, figuring out how to pray out loud is part of wondering what that is like, and it brought up some fears among some of those young people. They had questions, questions for themselves and for each other about like the purpose of prayer. Why pray? What are we doing when we're praying? And this morning, we um, are going to try to lean in to some of those same questions that we were working on with the Jesuit volunteer uh, folks just a couple of years ago. We're going to specifically look together at the Lord's Prayer, which Bob just shared with us, at least as it's recorded in Matthew's Gospel. We're in the middle of a three-week worship series, and we are holding our lives in conversation with the Sermon on the Mount, particularly trying to do so through the lens of the writings of Father Richard Rohr, unpacking, you could say, the Sermon on the Mount, which is comprised of Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Last Sunday, we spent some time around those opening 20 verses, part of which is the shorthand is called the Beatitudes, or the Happy Attitudes. And we wondered together about the ways that this text blesses or, or reverses the dominant ways that we move in the world, and what this might say to us about who God is and, and how God is. And this morning, we're going to take on the light task of moving through Matthew 5, 21, all the way through 7, 11. Okay, so first of all, I'm just going to commend to you that read this on your own time. I think it'll actually help us to unpack what is going on here, to just dive into it on, on your own or with family or friends around you or in our kitchen tables as we continue to do that. When Father Richard Rohr reads the Sermon on the Mount, he does so through the lens of a biblical scholar whose name is Glenn Stassen. And Glenn Stassen makes the argument that the Sermon on the Mount is not this like high-minded idealism as it's often depicted. It's actually a concrete plan of delivering us from the cycles, the vicious cycles that we get into. And we started to dive into this a little bit or last Sunday, but I want to invite you to think about the Sermon on the Mount as like a cadence, and it repeats itself over and over and over and over. And so the cadence that repeats is, is something like this. First, Jesus opens each movement or each topic by first naming how traditional piety or like conventional religion treats a certain topic. 
It usually starts with, you have heard it said. And so this is like Jesus putting out there what the powers that be in the religious establishment, you've heard this said. And for the most part, these are good laws, you could say, or it's wisdom that is passed down. So Jesus is rooting himself in the tradition, naming where it comes from. But then in the midst of that, he's saying, when we read this or hold this law without listening for the spirit, it can become its own dangerous, vicious trap. So on the surface, this is good. It's wise. And it can become its own vicious cycle. After naming the prison, then Jesus follows with, with inviting us then with the attention to love to flip the script on that conventional wisdom, on that pious teaching. Father Richard Rohr calls this the transforming initiative. So we're going to look at a couple examples to try to unpack this together. The first one Jesus starts with is a pretty obvious one. You see it there at the very top in the orange. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. Who disagrees with that? Obviously, this is good way to move in the world. This is wise. But, Father Rohr writes, nursing anger becomes another mechanism of bondage. So to nurse anger, or, or to use an example, to, to call another person a fool, or to hold a person with ill will, to gather in that way, we get trapped. And that trap becomes its own form of falling into the same cycle that leads to the violence that is killing. So therefore, the transforming initiative in this is what happens next. Go and be reconciled while there's still time before we can nurse anger in our heart and build up hatred toward another person. Go and be transformed. And Jesus does this. You see how it moves. It opens, and then it offers the transforming initiative. And then the third piece shows us this is what it looks like when we go and do this. And Jesus does this over and over and over. This is the cadence of the Sermon on the Mount. He does this with with acts of adultery. He does this with divorce and with taking oaths. And I commend all of the, the chapters to you, but we're going to show one more example quickly, and then we'll turn to understanding the context that the Lord's Prayer comes to us in. In Matthew 5, 38, 42, Jesus turns over tables on violent resistance. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's that command, the pious, conventional wisdom. And Father Richard invites us deeper. He says, the mechanism of bondage here is violent resistance itself. The whole problem then is in the inner attitude. And so Jesus' great transforming initiative is to turn the other cheek. To let them have your clothes when they ask for a cloak. Why even play the game, says Father Richard, if someone asks you to go one mile, go two miles. And in the context of this, he, he's saying this because a conscripted soldier was allowed to carry another person's thing for one mile. But to go further than that turns this over. It's an image that Jesus is building on. He's saying, we don't get into this tit-for-tat game, carrying it two miles. Create your own loving set of rules. 
disrupt the system that is handed to you. That's what blows the whole system apart. And you take the initiative by changing the rules and the expectations and the outcomes. And so finally, midway through, having gone through all of these different ways of practicing faith that conventional religion has, has shown us, Jesus finally comes in the midway point of the Sermon on the Mount. He comes to what we call today in the church the Lord's Prayer. So reading the Lord's Prayer in this context, I want to encourage us then that the way that we do this here at the table every single Sunday as we share a version of the Lord's Prayer, this moment in worship is actually born in the context of pushing back against conventional forms of prayer, the conventional wisdom or pious ways that we're supposed to pray together. And so just as Jesus flipped the script on murder and retributive violence, he turns over the tables on what it means and how we approach prayer. So first he names, as he has been each time, the conventional wisdom on this. And he says, whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door. Father Richard teaches that the mechanism of bondage is actually doing, doing prayer in public. Therefore, pray in secret is the way that we're offered. In today's terms, go in the closet, and I get the irony of that term, <laughs> where you have no motivation except except the seeking of the truth, seeking God, seeking love. Father Richard continues, again, Jesus wants action for its own sake and not for some outer image or inner product. This teaching is useful in contemplative training. And for those who say that Jesus never taught contemplation, in his Semitic concrete style, Jesus does speak of separation of quiet and under-stimulation with the image of a closed closet door. He could also be interpreted as advising a prayer style that does not seem to have any immediate or social payoff. That's exactly what perseverance in contemplative prayer requires. We sometimes forget, says Father Richard, that Jesus was a mystic. And so Jesus says, pray like this, our Father in heaven, May your name be held holy, your reign come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts and as we have forgiven those who are in debt to us. And do not put us to the test, but save us from the evil one. This is a flipping of the script of how people are learning to pray around Jesus. And Father Richard invites us to go deeper into this. If you forgive others their failings, your heavenly Father, God, will forgive you yours. But if you do not forgive others, your Father will not forgive your failings either. And a lot of us pray as if prayer is really twisting the arm of God or convincing God to do something. We think that by saying more words, we'll talk God into it. We think if, if I say it one more time, God will agree with me. And that very attitude is an alienating attitude. It keeps us in the role of doing it right, 
or often enough to convince us unready and unready or unwilling God. And instead, Jesus gives us these seven simple statements of petition to align our prayer with the eternal and effective will of God. And this is classic Father Richard language, as opposed to placating an angry God or taking God into things God would rather not do. This is Jesus's transforming initiative, an alternative to babbling, quote, babbling like the pagans. With an imperative, he says, pray like this, and then presents this ideal spoken prayer. So given the context of the Sermon on the Mount and the way in which Jesus is talking about prayer, it is actually quite ironic that churches like ours pray every Sunday in public the Lord's Prayer. The whole context of it was to not (laughs) gather like this and pray together aloud in these ways where we are seen by others. That irony is not lost on us, and I actually embrace it. I embrace it because I've come to understand that that this kind of praying, this way of of saying a prayer collectively together, and we use a lot of different paraphrases and translations of it here at the table, but doing so gives us some things to hold on to. It's a thread, at least it can be for for me. Because there are times when I show up to a space and I don't have the words within me to pray. And so I can turn back on the tradition that's been passed down I was reminded of this uh, yesterday. I remember being out at a playground with a person in our community and their kids were playing. And this person was describing to me how they don't really feel like they need to be a part of Christian community anymore because they kind of have been through it for a while and they understand it and they've got the message. And what I remember feeling in that moment was, I don't really know how to say to this person, but I think we're always barely scratching the surface of what's happening in this and how we're called deeper and deeper into this. And it's my sense that coming back over and over and over in worship allows then the forms of prayer that have been passed down to us to become like woven into the fabric of our being. And it's my sense that this is why we pray over and over the Lord's Prayer here together. And some of the ways that we pray this together, I think, actually follow the movement or the framework that Father Richard is inviting us into, pressing at some of the conventional or pious expressions of prayer in our day today. A lot of religious communities around us would teach that the only way to address God is in the same language that Jesus used, And so we would limit the image of God to our Father. And so a prayer on a screen would always begin, Our Father, who art in heaven. And here at the table, for those that have been here before, you'll see that we're inviting each other to to hold the ways in which you're addressing God in the deepest parts, the most intimate places of your own journey, with that name. Because the truth of the matter is, we're not praying in the original Aramaic in which it was spoken, or the Greek in which it was written down, so we're always translating it anyways. And the, the word Father that is translated there, it would seem to me that we are really trying to capture the intimate parental relationship that Jesus experienced with God. And in a patriarchal society of that day, it came to us as Father. And so for some of us, The language that we hold is mother. Jesus most often 
uses an even more intimate expression. Not father or mother, but Abba, Ima. Dad, mom. You can imagine in your own life when you call your parent mother or when you call them mom. And so as we begin to pray, we're invited to address God in the way that is most intimate in our own hearts, which feels to me to line up with the whole framework of Jesus turning the tables on conventional expressions of religion around him in those days. Or, for example, in the prayer that we'll share today, the version of the Lord's Prayer we'll share today comes through us to us with influence from the Maori people through the New Zealand Book of Prayer. And we hope that, that sharing these different paraphrases actually allows us when we come back to the historic traditional language that Bob shared with us from the Gospel of Matthew to allow that to sink in with even more depth because we've wondered about it and turned the terms over and over and over. It's our sense that Jesus is flipping the script on conventional, pious, public prayer. And that's also connected to the ways in the sanctuary for those of us gathered in person that we've created areas, sacred spaces to pray. And so we'll move right from praying together aloud the Lord's Prayer to having space where you're invited on your own or as a family or with another to spend time lighting candles and to be in the kind of prayer that Jesus is inviting us into. And you'll see, or at least I notice, as, as parents learn and teach children to pray, lighting those candles together. It's our sense that those low and high stations give us all kinds of different entry points into the kind of posture that Jesus is inviting us into in the Lord's Prayer. Father Richard Rohr writes this about prayer. He says, prayer is not primarily saying words or thinking thoughts. It is rather a stance. It's a way of living in the presence, living in awareness of the presence, and even of enjoying the presence. So friends, whatever fears that you might bring to this space about praying, whatever inhibitions you might hold, whatever longings you might have to get it right, may we be inspired to join with Jesus' followers alongside this mountain and allow our lives to become a stance, a posture of praying by living in the presence, living in awareness of the presence, and even enjoying the presence. May that way of turning upside down become our way. Amen. As you can imagine, my prayer stance um, has changed over the last seven weeks. Yeah. You can pray in a chemo chair while your body doesn't uh, respond well. Like it, um, I'm fine. I really am. It's just emotions. It jerks around. And so I've figured out 
You can pray when your body's in motion. Not like dancing, but uh, it works. And then I cry, and then I do panic the nurses a little bit because they think something bad is happening. And Sophia will say, no, she's just praying, she's just praying. <laughs> so praying can really take so many forms, right? That's really what I'm trying to say. And those forms, those stances, those postures um, that come to us as we are brave or curious, like we can be curious, um, give us opportunity to be in communion with God, right? Um, and so one of uh, the ways in which we do that here uh, as Matt has said, is we do it out loud and in unison, but we, we try to bring in uh, alternative um, histories so that we know we're not alone. And so many people have gone before us. And one of those persons was a man, he's a great man named Vine Deloria, and he's a Native American. Um, and his whole being is oriented to the great spirit we might call God uh, and the land. He's such an example. And so we have this prayer for all of us this morning in a posture of confession. As you are willing and able, I invite you to stand, which comes to us from one who himself had much to wonder about and confess, but also much to offer all of us. So let us pray with one voice. The lands of the planet called to humankind for redemption, but it is a redemption of sanity, not a supernatural reclamation project at the end of history. The lands wait for those who can discern their rhythms the peculiar genius of each continent, each river valley, the rugged mountains, the placid lakes, all call for relief from the constant burden of exploitation. Who will find peace with the lands? The future of humankind lies waiting for those who will come to understand their lives and take up their responsibilities to all living things. Who will listen to the trees, the animals and birds, the voices of the places of the land? And hear these words of assurance which come to us all the way from the first century. Show yourself, show yourself to those who are in need. Heal the sick, feed the hungry, fill the hungry, give freedom to those who are imprisoned, console the faint-hearted. This way of Christ's beauty and love is yours this day and evermore. Let's say amen. Amen. I invite you to join with us in the call and response that is the practice of the church for recognizing the presence of God in each and every neighbor around us. Friends, may the peace of Christ be with you.
you are the giver of every good thing. You create the visible world and all it contains. You inebriate it with the inexhaustible springs. And you said, let us make humanity in our own image. And you gave us souls endowed with reason and judgment. And you gave us these bodies endowed with the five senses and with movement. And you brought us into this paradise of delights. But we scorned your commandment and you rightly thrust us forth from paradise. But you did not wholly reject us in our lost state. You promised to release us from the bonds of death so that we might live and rise from the dead. descended and took up residence in bread. Fire and spirit are in the womb of she who bore you. Fire and spirit are in the rivers in which we are baptized. Fire and spirit are in our baptismal font. In the bread and in the cup are fire, fire and Holy Spirit. newly mingled with our bodies, Christ's blood poured into our veins, Christ's voice in our ears and brightness in our eyes. In God's compassion, the whole of Christ is mingled with the whole of creation. Let us pray together with one voice. The words that Jesus shared with his disciples long ago and that have been passed to us. And this is a prayer as Matt shared out of the New Zealand prayer book that is paraphrased. Let us pray. Eternal spirit, earth maker, pain bearer, life giver, source of all that is and that shall be. Father and mother of us all, loving God, in whom is heaven. The hallowing of your name echoes through the universe. The way of your justice be followed by the peoples of the earth. 
your heavenly will be done by all created beings. Your commonwealth of peace and freedom sustain our hope and come on earth. With the bread we need for today, feed us. In the hurts we absorb from one another, forgive us. In times of temptation and test, spare us. From the grip of all that is evil, free us. For you reign in the glory of the power that is love, now and forever. Amen. Pour your spirit, God, upon each of us gathered here and spread across many places. Pour your spirit upon the gifts before us. Make these gifts your love alive in the world and make us, through the sharing of this feast, Christ's body in the world. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All are welcome to the table of God's love. And when we say all, we mean all. We invite all of our friends who are with us online from various places to bring close to them whatever they are using for their bread and their cup, their juice. We invite all of you all to remember, if you've been here before, that we are going to go outside. Michael went out there. It's pretty firm, so <laughs> it's not squishy. Um, if you have never been here before, we welcome you to this feast, and we also encourage you to really take your time. It's a big thing sometimes because you're surrounded by people, and often the assumption that we always hear is everybody knows what they're doing. So can we all raise our hand right now to let everyone know that we don't often know what we're doing? Okay, thank you very much. See, so all are welcome. You can't make a mistake. We are in God's divine dance. We come up as signal, then go out this door, come back around and come back in the sanctuary. And there are places to pray surrounding you or just there in the pew. So friends, this is the bread of life and the body of Christ broken for you and the cup of God's forgiveness poured out for all.
encourage those praying with candles to stay for just as long as you desire. Loving God, we give thanks for this holy mystery, the divine dance through which you are revealed to creation in the breaking of bread and in the sharing of a cup. May your love bind us together and send us, send us into the world as an expression of Christ's hope for this day. Amen. In addition to praying and coming to the table, we encourage you to wonder about what next steps God might invite you to take. We have um, folks that will be outside, Andy and others, that for those that have made a subscription for table bread, that will be just outside. Many of us make giving commitments. We call those deep commitments here at the table, and you can do that online. Or there are places to make offerings that will help our community align with God's uh, healing and love in the world. You can do that here, or you can also text to give whatever ways that you might prefer. For those that are online, we encourage you to sign in and connect with others. Chloe is there if you would like to have further conversation. We have a team. Ten of us are out building today with Habitat for Humanity. A number of us were there on Thursday and Friday. So very soon, this interfaith or multi-faith build of homes will be finished up. That's in South Sacramento. And we'll soon be blessing those homes and giving keys to families that will be homeowners for the very, very first time. And so your generosity aligned with the generosity of other communities in Sacramento is helping that to happen. Along, They even, like... I even put, I used the, it was called a nail gun. Mark, you would have been so proud of me. Oh my goodness. Um, there's double nails almost everywhere I shot that thing. So you can know that it's not going to fall down. Um, well, actually, I wouldn't say that. I'm going to hope that people will come behind us and that today the folks are finding their way to address any mistakes because uh, all truly means all, even us non-building type folks. So however you find yourself in this moment, we invite you to stand as you're willing and able. Our musicians are going to send us out in song. This is a song that we often open worship with. And today we're going to send us out together in this song. This is our music team sharing Open Up by The Brilliance.
this place with an open heart. May the love of God call you forward. May the hope of God sustain you along the way. And may the peace of God be with you always. Amen.